the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Tuesday, May 23rd, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 241, powered by the National Pulse. Make sure you subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out Sacred Breakfast at thenationalpulse.com. There you'll find our exclusive members-only content and links that will take you to the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. Big Tuesday edition of the show today. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's joined us. Guys, we've got a packed lineup as well. Big week for the National Pulse. Big week for Steak for Breakfast. Editor-in-chief of the National Pulse, Raheem Kassam, is going to be here. We're also going to sit down with former FBI agent Garrett O'Boyle. You saw him at the weaponization committee hearing last week. And Congressman Mike Collins will be joining us as well. Lots of breaking news. The battle over the debt ceiling is heating up. Joe Biden does the G7. And the GOP Republican primary just got a little bit bigger. So lots of headlines. But before we get into any of that, let's take it over to D.C., change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM, this is bowling, there are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! All right, big Tuesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast here. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back. Make sure you're checking out everything we've got going on now at thenationalpulse.com. Thenationalpulse.com is where you're going to find all the great stuff going on here with Steak for Breakfast. And consequently so, joining us first to kick off the show is the editor-in-chief of the National Pulse, our newest partner, great friend Raheem Kassam. Thanks for joining us today. Well, quite literally, thanks for joining us as well. Ah, I see what he did there. I do like what he did there. Listen, partnerships is whatever they want to, you know, the people involved to be. And I think this is going to be nothing but positive, not only for the Stay for Breakfast podcast, our listenership, who immensely enjoys when you're coming on the show, but everything you've got going on at the National Pulse, which we've kind of chronicled over the last couple of years. We've always been fans. You know, we always cite articles and we have a lot of the guests who contribute at the National Pulse on our show regularly. And it just came to be that here we are joining in a, a venture that's going to hopefully propel both apparatuses into one single big successful entity. So our listenership is probably dying after all the social media posts, the appearances you did on Steve Bannon's War Room throughout the weekend and uh, yesterday morning to launch the site to hear what's going on. So for everything that you've got planned for not only our listenership, but other podcasts involved and all the great writers and stuff we've got going on at the National Post, why don't you let our listenership know exactly what the plan is? Well, thank you. Um, and, and what's going on is, is that I've been in the U.S. now for, for seven years, and I, I have somehow become, uh, you know, against my will, this, this person that people come to with all of their complaints about what the movement is doing and, and, and what things need to be said and what things need to be done. And, you know, I guess maybe because I, I seem like a doer, um, but that, that is a, a poison chalice for me because it means I actually have to do things. So we've done something. And, and I think we've done something rather big, uh, filling in uh, one of the gaping holes, I think, on the political right um, in this country, which is, which is a good-looking uh, news website that is punchy, respects its readership, and, and provides something back in exchange for that, you know, that all-coveted click, right? And I think people who have been 
following me for some time have noted me saying, click the links, click the links. It's, there's no use just scrolling past articles and liking them and retweeting them or whatever. Um, conservative media, for it to succeed, for it to reach more people, for more people to be convinced by the content and the output and the arguments being made, they actually have to click the link. And so we, we kind of, uh, my business partner, Harlan and I, we, we kind of went into the lab, as I say it, uh, some months ago and, and really thrashed out what that means, what it means for the user, uh, what it means to actually create content that people are not just proud uh, of, of sharing and proud of, of consuming, but that they feel like it's actually providing them something above and beyond just trying to solicit a click from them. And so we put together this idea uh, called the Pulse Plus, which is our brand new uh, membership system whereby uh, people can support us. And yet still the, the, the predominant amount of content on the site, the news, the pulse, as we call it, um, stays free for everybody in the world to consume. So there are, there are so many benefits, and we're delighted that you guys are on board and that you're going to be doing a members-only show once a week uh, for the National Pulse and the Pulse Plus membership. Uh, that is also the case with the great Flaccus, Flaccus Talks podcast. We are uh, entering into agreements, and we've been approached now by so many people in the last you know, 12 hours from when we're talking because they've seen the site now, the revamped site. They've seen how it looks. They know what we're, they know what vibe we're going for. And they, and they dig the fact that this, this is an actual good looking product, um, which is, which is kind of rare, I think, from a graphical sense and a presentational sense um, on the political right in terms of media. So that's kind of the 50,000 foot uh, ex explainer of it. The content itself on the pulse is also changing. We used to do these five, six, seven, eight, nine hundred word articles, longer in some cases, um, but we're actually shrinking those down. And we've, we've, we've hired a really great team of writers, some of whom I've worked with before at previous outlets, some of whom I just found, you know, laying about doing nothing. And I thought I'd put them to work <laughs> and, and, and they're just doing such an amazing job. Of, of really honing in on what the news takeaway is from a given story. So that now when you come to the site, it's, it's, it's 200, maybe 300 words at a maximum. If you want more, we link you out. Um, if there's a, there's a way to be part of a comment section, a community, a forum as a result of all of that now too. And, um, y you know, we are building some really exciting things into the site as well that I think people will get a big kick out of. In fact, you know, I, I can break this with you today um, uh, on the basis that all of your listeners come and become members. And I just heard a resounding yes. So uh, <laughs> there's the contract. That's the deal. Um, we're, we're even deploying things like onto the site. Um, you know how some places you go and it will read the article out to you. But what we're developing is... I will read uh, the articles out to you. So you will have my voice, um, you know, reading these articles aloud from the site. And there are so many little things in the site, tweaks, um, cool little parts of it that we, we can continually keep building in to make it a really rich and fulfilling experience, especially for our members. Hey, you say like... When, when you add that component there, Raheem, it's like every article essentially could be a mini podcast from you, even though obviously it's written by somebody else, but just the aesthetics of it is uh, pretty awesome to hear as part of the components. And then in, in, in the next uh, few coming weeks here, there's the possibility that we're going to be able to get everything that you're offering, the National Pulse and the National Pulse uh, Plus 
on application form. So there's going to be an app available to everyone that's a, that's a user now that can come in and uh, check it out mobily. Yeah, that's right. So so those things can be quite difficult, um, quite finicky, uh, and take a lot of time. So we really we really put our shoulder to the wheel on that one. And you know, one of the critical things about the apps, right? Whether it's Google News or just your Apple News, or or, or if it's a specific app for the New York Times or CNN, one of the most critical things about how the left media controls the narrative in this country is push notifications. Mm-hmm. You know, hundreds of thousands of people receiving push notifications about a certain thing, and it has an obvious slant and an obvious bent and an obvious bias, really frames the way conversations go uh, at the bars and the pubs that evening, around the dinner table, at the water cooler, you know, you name it. And what we wanted to do was was kind of take some of that power away from the left and invest it in our audience, I like to say that we're by the people, for the people. You know, we're people-powered. We're not corporate-sponsored. There's no corporate advertising on this site. And therefore, you know, it really, really takes away one of the major, major immediate things that they have at their disposal to set the news agenda. So the, the app is in development. We hope to get that done in the next sort of 30 days. Um, fingers crossed, touch wood, all of that stuff. And, um, you know, we hope that one of the most critical parts of this is going to be that that all important push notification so that when something happens and I'll give you an example of this, um, you know, Manhattan jury a couple of weeks ago rules that Donald Trump did not rape E. Jean Carroll. But the push notification sent to everyone was Trump found liable for sexual abuse. Right. Well, I mean, that's 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 not even half of the story. And it leaves out all of the context. And, of course, immediately hundreds of thousands of people around the country are misinformed. So my pitch to the audience is, and I hope they will then go and pitch it to their friends and family and so on and so forth and social media followers, is um, when it's out, when we're there, download the app. You want to be first with the app? Come over to thenationalpulse.com now and sign up. That could be an absolute game changer. Like you said, those push notifications for everything from breaking news to possibly when podcasts launch, new episodes, members-only content exclusive for Pulse Plus members and, and all things related. Raheem, the last thing I wanted to ask you, because I think it's a, it's like the largest, uh, like all-encompassing of this. Why is it so important to have to change up the way people are consuming their news to be radically independent and to provide even commentary uh, on some of the biggest uh, writers and, and editorialists out there uh, just kind of to be able to read through the line and give somebody what, what's all important uh, regarding the way, you know, the news cycle kind of spins and, and the alternative, more truthful version that has historically been attached to, to things like the national pulse and our podcast here on steak for breakfast. Because, look, context and, and framing and lens is everything in, in the news, and it's everything in politics. Um, we've all seen the memes that reflect that, and I can, I can give you a contemporaneous example of when that has happened in our very own newsroom uh, here at The Pulse. Uh, this afternoon, one of my writers sent me a, uh, a poll that said, um, you know, 44% of people still believe the Steele dossier was real. And I said, no, you're thinking about it the wrong way. That means a majority of people think it was a hoax. So we look at the the data, and that is absolutely borne out in the data. 
And then I go, hmm, I wonder what those numbers were in 2020. And so we look at the 2020 numbers, and they've basically flipped. Most people back then thought it was real, and most people now think it was a hoax. And you see, if you present it as like, wow, 44% still believe it was real, then it's a totally different story from, well, hold on. People have changed their minds in a big way. They're hardening against it. Um, and, and so, and the, and the story therefore takes completely different legs. That is just a very small example of the contextualization of stuff. And we have a system for our members now, when you join up at the pulse, uh, stories that I think, and, and I do think a lot about this, um, have, um, some back behind the scenes info or that I can tell you what, you know, what Capitol Hill thinks about this, where I am right now, uh, what they're saying on the Morton's Terrace about this, or just my general, thoughts on stories we now have an editor's notes section where i do two three four lines of a little bit extra a little bit behind the scenes to tell you what's like what's the chit chat what's the scuttlebutt behind that story and again that's a member benefit i think people will benefit from that uh, i've done several of them today alone um we publish about 12 to 15 stories a day at the moment. And, and, and a lot of them have those editor's notes. And I think that's real value, right? That's real added value. That's like, Oh, okay. Look, as long as Raheem's swanning around Morton's, he might as well tell us what they're saying there. <laughs> and, and so, and so here we go. No, you know, that's it. Like I said, you, you guys are changing the game. We're really excited. Our listenership's excited to be a part of this and uh, moving forward, we're going to be uh, continuing to bring everybody the news, uh, as truthful as possible with the best narratives and, and, and really reading the single between all the noise, which is one of the largest components that's always kind of, you know, been one of your sticks, Raheem. We're going to be looking to get back with you soon. We're also going to be hoping to do some uh, members only content with you in the very near future. And well, we uh, should do one. We should do one this week. You know, let's let's prove the concept. Let's do a, a, a full members only show this week. Done and done. I'm in. There you go. Noah's in, so I mean, I have to be here then. But for everybody <laughs> that's going to be jumping on board in, in, over the course of this week and as you guys are rolling out over the first month here, one more time, where could we follow you? What website could we go to? And, uh, you know, all the great stuff we've got prepared over at the National Pulse that's, that's being launched here this week. It's never changed. It'll never change. It's the nationalpulse.com. The URL will stay the same. Um, come over, be part of the the Pulse Plus family, I cannot stress to you enough how important this is. If you want if you want to keep up with what the innovation is on the corporate left, with the Axioses and the Semaphores and all of these little corporate-sponsored websites, and they are absolutely corporate-sponsored, they even tell you, sponsored by Facebook, sponsored by Google, sponsored by Pfizer, all of that. Um, let's, let's, you know, come together as, as, as ordinary people and put our shoulder to the wheel to fight back against that. So this is people-powered. And, and one more thing uh, I will add to that as well. We've just partnered with a great morning mailing list. Um, so the morning mailing list and all of that is um, is something that members will, in, will be able to enjoy now as well. And that's kind of like, you know how Politico has their morning playbook and, and Axios has theirs. Well, this is the same thing, but for the right and from the right. And I think people are going to get a big kick out of it. In fact, I know they are. Yeah, that's it. I think they certainly are. Like I said, our listenership is extremely uh, excited to, to get in here. And uh, for all these families that are emerging now, you know, it's, it's like you said, joining part of the National Pulse family was a big jump for us. We're really appreciative of that. And this is the daddy of the National Pulse, the editor-in-chief, Mr. Raheem Kassam. Thanks for joining us today to kick off Steak for Breakfast. Thank you, my child. <laughs> we are entering zero barrier here when it comes to how much money we've got in the books uh, for the United States. Not when it comes to things regarding for the United States is the key word. How much money? How much money we just send to Ukraine? 
well, we we found another three billion. Weird counting error. Apparently, we'll we'll hear from that in in our next segment. But uh, we also committed another, I don't know, three hundred ish million. Yeah, it was Joe like three hundred and seventy five. Yeah, while Joe Biden was over at the G seven. But uh, the head to head confrontation between Joe Biden and Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is certainly heating up. And Kevin McCarthy kind of laid it out there for members of the press who caught him on his way to meet face-to-face with Joe Biden yesterday. And uh, he gave the bleak picture of where we're at, you know, economically right now in regards to the debt ceiling. Let's hear it. We're 10 days out, so the president has to be serious. And I've been very clear from the very beginning. We are in this problem because when the Democrats took the overall majority just a few years ago, they spent $6 trillion. That brought us inflation. That brought us banks closing. But it spent too much. It's a real challenge of where we're going. So we have to spend less next year than we spend this year. And I mean, overall, it's a pretty simple equation. He, he kind of lays it out there. You don't even have to explain it. I actually apply that to my own finances. <laughs> doesn't seem like it ever happens, though. No, it really doesn't. No, there's a lot of new... Uh, but I'm not giving any money to my neighbors or somebody that lives across town. Right. And that's a big concern for a lot of people because, you know, what we've got going on now is just a lot of people playing chicken up on Capitol Hill and they're doing it with the U.S. taxpayer dollars, uh, both metaphorically and literally. And, you know, we, we have to really take into context here the job that Speaker McCarthy, who a lot of people are hitting him on, Saying meeting in the middle with Joe Biden might be a failure, but but here's the thing, you know, since 1960, we've raised the debt ceiling dozens and dozens of times. Uh, it's been Republican and Democrat presidents with opposite, you know, powers in Congress. Yeah, it's nothing new, but it might be a time when we've gotten to a point where it's not really a reasonable thing anymore. And one of the things I'm hearing a lot from, you know, a lot of people uh, who are on the news right now, you know, you'll have... People who worked in Congress a while back, uh, they're hosting shows. Like I saw Trey Gowdy was hosting a show on Fox News the other day, and he brought on a congressman, and they're like, he, he was talking to Jim Jordan, and he's like, man, when, when I met you back in 2014, you know, the, the U.S. national debt was only around $15 trillion, and here we are less than 10 years later, and uh, it's doubled. So, you know, and we did add almost 7 trillion of that uh, over the course of the pandemic. And it's just come down to the point now where we really have to start pushing back on the way. Listen, the Biden administration has doubled down on their reckless spending to Ukraine. We're going to touch on this a little bit more because Vladimir made his way over to the G7 uh, after meeting with MBS in, in Saudi Arabia last week. And, you know, it's one of those things. If we're going to continue to do stuff like that and just kick everything from dollars to F-16s over to Ukraine. I need more money and F-16s. And not worry about cutting back on the spending here. You know, one of the big things is all the government assistance that people got. I've I've heard Kevin McCarthy. I've heard Jim Jordan, Byron Donald, so many congressmen up on the Hill right now really hammer down on this because you have a lot of people who are able to work and just don't participate in the workforce. They make no contribution to society and then just get everything for free. They're like the U.S. citizen version of the asylum seekers that are coming in right now. Well, and our government has has rewarded this and actually made this during, I mean, even before the pandemic, quote unquote, 
but even at, like during and after it's just been incentivized to just be a piece of shit basically. Yeah. Yep. A senator who you may have never heard of because he really doesn't do anything up on Capitol Hill, but believe it or not, he's a he's a bona fide senator. Uh Chris Van Hollen was on uh ABC's, I don't know, Meet the Fake Nation or whatever this weekend. He was talking about it's it's like one of the new flash words now that that all Congress people are using. Uh it, you know, when we re- refer to the border crisis, Wait, we you always said flash words. Yeah. Is it this word? Vagina. Not quite. <laughs> Actually, not at all. <laughs> so when we refer to the border crisis, anyone who wants to be scary says fentanyl. Oh, that, yeah, that makes more sense. So now when we're talking about the debt ceiling, everybody wants to say 14th Amendment. Ooh. And uh, we'll, we'll hear a little bit. We'll, we'll get into this a little bit right now. Let's hear Senator Van Hollen talk with Martha Raddatz. Plan B, Plan C, the 14th Amendment that, that the president talked about, is that something you would consider still? Well, let me, let me just say, plan A needs to be our focus for the next 48 hours. Plan B, which is a reasonable proposal, if, if Speaker McCarthy would just let the House work its will, we can have a discharge petition. We could get a majority in the House for a reasonable proposal to mm. prevent default. Plan C uh, would be the 14th Amendment. Um, look, my, my view is the president should use all legal options out there. I think that is a legal option, but it's not the preferred option because there's a lot of uncertainty around that approach. It will be litigated. The president and, said that this morning. And, and, and as, as Congressman Arrington brought up, Janet Yellen actually said, told George Stephanopoulos that it could cause a constitutional crisis. Oh, so why even consider that? Stop it. Well, the difference is a, 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 that option would be better than a default. The United States has never defaulted in its history. It would create a a catastrophe in the economy. Uh, So the 14th Amendment is not the preferred alternative. A lot of people predict that even if you go the route of the 14th Amendment, you go into a recession. But if you default, we're talking about depression. We're talking about 18 Mm. million people out of work. We're talking about interest rates going up. We're talking about everything getting much more expensive for the American people. That is what Speaker McCarthy and the MAGA Republicans and Donald Trump are threatening if they don't get their way. See how uh, the Fourteenth Amendment's become the new fentanyl. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I, I could attach all those, uh, you know, uh, supporting context to it, like MAGA Republicans and Donald Trump, who's not even an elected official right now and and not holding any public office. Listen, when you talk about defaulting on debts, there's been a lot of things close to the deadline with the debt ceiling in years past, presidencies past, where we've taken certain portions of the debts that are coming up for payment and kind of scooted the date a little bit and we really need to uh you know understand now that we're in we're in like a whole new world when it comes to how these people kind of just play their cards like again we like to refer everybody back to the fact that the bill that passed in the house to limit and cut spending that got passed by house republicans led by kevin mccarthy it was doa and and no one thought with Anything that was going on, Kevin McCarthy was going to be able to pull this off. So the Dems were just going to continue to try and bully the America Firsts, members of the 20, identify them as MAGA Republicans, and push back on this thing is, you know, Kevin McCarthy needs to make concessions for the concessions he's suggesting we make. Um, You want to limit spending, we'll limit it a little bit, but we're also going to add spending in things like Ukraine. There is so much spending that they could cut out of government that would not hurt a thing. The spend money just because it'll go away if we don't spend it? Like, that is the most egregious waste of taxpayer money ever. 
Yes, it is. And, you know, remember, the Democrats' plan, especially for at least the last decade, has always been deflect, reject, and then project. I'm going to play a clip now back, way back machine, all the way back in 2011, uh, when Joe Biden uh, was the vice president to Barack Obama. And they had a debt ceiling showdown with House Republicans and was, was kind of getting close to coming to a head like it was now. Listen to how they uh, looked at the 14th Amendment then. Um, now that you have to ask again, we're getting closer and now Steady Hoyer has endorsed a 14th Amendment option. Can you say that the White House has ruled out the 14th Amendment option? I can say... This administration does not believe that the 14th Amendment gives the president the power to ignore the debt ceiling. Congress has the authorities necessary to ensure that we meet our obligations, obligations that Congress created. Important point. This is not about giving anyone a blank check to spend. It is about paying bills that have already been rung up. (laughs) Defaulting on our debt is not an option. There are no arguments that can avoid the basic truth that if we fail to act, it will have devastating consequences for our jobs. I think he misspelled Ukraine. So let me just repeat. This administration does not believe that the 14th Amendment gives the president the power to ignore the debt ceiling. So you literally just heard Democrat Senator Van Hollen go on and use the exact same end of that guy's statement (laughs) right there in saying this is what is going to happen if Donald Trump and MAGA Republicans don't make concessions for Joe Biden. Back in 2011, Barack Obama and Joe Biden, who were in power at that point, had their White House press pool speaker go out and basically say the same thing in reverse. Mm. Really can't make it up. You know, this is this is becoming something that is uh, getting out of control in regards to this. I, I think if we can hold the line here as Republicans and, and really make a stand here, we can definitely start making progress to more uh, balanced budgets in the future, especially when it comes to if we get a Republican president back in the White House in 2024, I saw um, a memo, a strongly worded memo came mm. out from uh, another one of those sparkling examples of the worst cabinet members in the history of the galaxy, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Ugh. I wish I could do it in her. I mean, she talks exactly like my grandma, with like that old lady shaky voice. Oh, yeah. And I wish I could do it or that my grandma was still with us because I'd bring her in studio and have her read the memo. <laughs> But, but, you know, she, she said yesterday, uh, she sent a letter over to him and, and, and basically said that uh, she wants to provide additional information regarding the Treasury Department's ability to continue to finance the operations of the federal government. She cited a May 15th letter um, that the Treasury was, was going to be unable to satisfy all the government's obligations by early June. She's put a date of June 1st or 2nd as, like, the red line reiterates June 1st in this letter. And she says estimates are based on the currently available data, data, federal receipts, outlays, and debt from varying estimates that make up this tabulation. She said she will continue to update Congress on the progress and information as it becomes more available. And she continued to urge Congress, she didn't say it, but I'm going to reiterate here, MAGA House Republicans Mm. to protect the faith and the credit of the United States by acting as soon as possible. Sincerely, Janet Yellen, soon to be collector of five federal pensions and absolutely no legacy. How you said you have to just serve how many years in an administration to get a full pension? 
Well, basically, it, it depends on, on, you know, you could get in and, and be appointed to, like, the Treasury Secretary. You could work for a certain amount of time. Let's say you leave for sighted health Yeah, but is there, is there a minimum? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I, but I think if you're presidentially uh, nominated and then appointed by Congress. You're just good to go. In it to win it. Wow. Yeah, that's what a lot of people say, especially when they see the bang-up job that she's done. Speaking of bang-up jobs, I don't know if you guys seen the one that's been happening over at the nationalpulse.com. Uh, we relaunched yesterday. Obviously, we uh, let off the show today with Raheem and uh, gave everybody a little taste of what's going on over there. So if you're listening right now and you're subscribing across every downloadable podcasting platform, that's Apple, Google, iHeart, Spotify, and following us across all of our social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram, also go over to the nationalpulse.com. Check out what they've got going on, completely redesigned site. Get on that Pulse Plus. Sign up for the members-only content. We've got some bangers we're starting to line up right now. And uh, I'm not going to lead too much into it because I don't want to do it beforehand. But we will be dropping our first members-only content this week, an exclusive interview with Raheem Kassam. So Byron Donalds has been making the rounds lately, bigly. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are hyping him up as a possible vice presidential candidate. I love it. Yeah, that'd be great. Love the stats even better. What is it? 6'2", 275, African-American. Ain't scared of shit. Ain't scared of shit. Uh, But, you know, I I see uh, his rise right now is going to be more of a statewide election governor, senator in the near future and and part of the progression to where he might be a national-level candidate in the future, which I definitely think he has the potential for. Um, Don't love him on all the social issues, especially criminal justice reform. But when you talk about America first, all of the budgetary stuff, national defense, domestic safety, I like all the other stuff, and, and President Trump loves him. So when it comes to the debt ceiling right now, Byron Donalds, has, he made the rounds for America first all weekend. Uh, he was speaking on behalf of the items that Kevin McCarthy was talking to the press about and, and also kind of talked about what's going on right now with some of the people who are not really active Joe Biden, who decided to take like a five-day break to go to the G7 and not negotiate on the debt ceiling. And and Senator Chuck Schumer, who's been all but absent. Let's hear uh, Congressman Donalds. Joe Biden's got to come up with a deal. He doesn't have one. I would ask you, you should ask him. If he actually would take your question, you should ask him if he has a plan, if he has a strategy. The only thing he's ever said is we should, it should just be clean. But nobody with an economic mind is saying, yeah, sure, just give the federal government a blank check. So are you comfortable with breaching the debt ceiling? No, I'm not comfortable with that. This should have been done 100 days ago. Mm-hmm. House Republicans have been working on this for three months. I've been in the room. I've been in those meetings. Yep. Mm-hmm. And while we were working on a strategy to raise our nation's debt ceiling, yeah. which is something the House of Representatives has passed, Joe Biden was ignoring it. And Chuck Schumer was ignoring it. And I think that he has been derelict in his duty. Let me uh, ask you about the presidential race we got off. Oh, Chuck Todd, stop it. You you know, and that's a great point. It's been over 100 days now up until yesterday when we did have a face-to-face meeting with Joe Biden and Kevin McCarthy to literally talk about this. Not the grandstanding ones where Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer and all the press are there and they have, like, lunch and then break and be like, well, we're going to huddle with our teams and see where we go. But it's been a, over 100 days that, you know, House Democrats, the Senate, and the President of the United States said they're not going to negotiate on it. So that's great, running up against the deadline. The House bill adopted significant cuts 
And it's one of the biggest cuts that we've seen in years, at least pre-pandemic. It brings about permanent and lasting reform, which are going to make it a lot harder moving forward to include a lot of this garbage in bills that are related to raising the debt ceiling. And, and you know, a lot of people are saying McCarthy can't even meet on the middle with this, which we kind of agree with. But, you know, when you have people even like Byron Donald's obviously right there. And then Matt Gates came out yesterday. There was like some some hit piece that came out. I believe it was in the New York Post because, you know, Miranda Devine's got that whole editorial department over there running for Ron DeSantis at the moment. And it's just like, oh, get ready for them to invoke the powers to remove the speaker after Kevin McCarthy caves on the debt ceiling. I was like, caves on what? He already got the bill passed in the House. So I quoted the uh, article from the New York Post and I shared it on my Twitter. I obviously said, why would Matt Gates even consider something like this? I tagged him. I tagged Speaker McCarthy, said, did something that nobody else said anyone was going to get done. I tagged Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden. I said, listen, these people have done nothing and, and they've actually done less than Nancy Pelosi did, tagged her as well. I said, because whenever we ran into issues like this regarding the debt ceiling or even the budget, Nancy Pelosi would just shut down the government. Gates liked it and shared it. Nancy, Cause, cause, Nancy hasn't blocked you yet? Or no. Nancy's people? Because you know she's not working a cell phone. Well, it's not her daughter anymore because she's Diane Feinstein's chief of staff right now. Mm. So they, they finally did meet yesterday, uh, late in the afternoon, which was way outside of Joe Biden's schedule, so you could only hypothesize how grouchy he was during it. They gave a brief statement, uh, the President of the United States did, following sitting down with Kevin McCarthy. Let's hear him. Uh, we both agreed that we, default's not really on the table. We've got to get something done here. And uh, the consequence of failing to pay our bills would be that American people would have a real kick in their economic well-being. As a matter of fact, the rest of the world would too. And uh, so we also agree we need to reduce the deficit. And I might add, uh, in my first two years as president, I reduced it by $1.7 trillion in matters. So I'm all for reducing, continue to reduce the deficit. And uh, but we all, we both talked about Look at the how need uncomfortable for McCarthy looks sitting next to him. We have to be in a position where we can sell it to yeah. our constituencies. We're pretty well divided in the House, almost down the middle, and it's not any different in the Senate. So we got to get something that can sell to both sides. And uh, we need to cut spending, but we uh, here's a disagreement. We but have not to the Ukraine. Yeah. I think we should be looking at tax loopholes and. Uh, Make sure the wealthy pay their fair share. Oh, okay. Oh, matters, right. As well as, uh, as long as you're not taxing anybody under four hundred thousand bucks. And uh, so we're gonna we still have some disagreements, but I think we may be able to get where we have to go. We both know we have a significant responsibility. Mm. Listen, you guys could take that for what it was. <laughs> Way past his bedtime, he missed the early bird special yesterday. And, uh, you know, in the, in the big scheme of things, he literally said nothing there, uh, except, you know, he, he refrained back to a couple weak Democrat talking points uh, that you'll see on the campaign trail. Um, yeah, no substance, just the same bullshit rhetoric. True story. And Kevin McCarthy was uh, quick to get out of that, whatever you want to call it, and give a statement on the lawn of the White House as we're getting ready to wrap here now in our first news segment and jump in with former FBI agent Garrett O'Boyle. We're going to be continuing the narrative that we developed in our last show when we covered the weaponization committee of the three FBI agents who were fired and stripped of their security clearances for raising concerns about corruption within the agency. So it should be an absolute 
heater for you guys. Uh, let's hear the Speaker of the House and exactly what he felt he got out of that meeting with Joe Biden as we entered the 11th hour on the debt ceiling yesterday. You called it productive, but are you confident that you can get a deal with enough time left to prevent Americans from feeling the economic pain here? Look, the thing I want to tell America, I never wanted to be here. I never, I do not like the, the idea that position? you govern by chaos, you govern by a deadline. So all the way back in January, I requested meetings with the president after I won speaker, only on this issue. We always knew this issue was coming. February 1st, I got that meeting and I sat with the president and I told him, Mr. President, we should work together to find where we could have common ground to raise the debt ceiling, but curve our spending so we stop doing this. And I told the president, there's only two things not going to raise taxes, and we're not going to pass a clean debt ceiling. But for 97 days, he said he wouldn't meet with me. And now, what the Republicans went and did in the House, we passed a bill that raised the debt ceiling, saved his money, put us on a trajectory where we could go to balance. This was long before Secretary Yellen told us the deadline was June 1st, because we don't want to govern that way. Unfortunately, Denying our ability to meet put us in this situation. I believe we can still get there. I, be I believe we can get it done. Look, Mr. I always, I've watched us work before. I think from this discussion, he knows where we are. We had greater explanation of he had to be at G7 while our staffs were meeting. We were there able to explain where uh, some positions they have. I think that was a better explanation for both sides. And that kind of lays it out there. You know, Joe Biden wants to go to the G7 to make sure that Ukraine is properly propped up for the rest of the world to see as they're taking resounding defeats on the ground there. It looks like Bakhmut has fallen. I can all but confirm it. Colonel McGregor put out a nice op-ed today. His uh, press secretary emailed it to me, and he'll be joining us next week to give us an update on where Ukraine goes from here. I like that guy. He's he's if, Listen, there was, a, there was a couple people who pushed back on some of the narratives Last time he was on the show, one of the ones specifically was, uh, hey, I heard him reference like a couple times all these ammunition dumps that are getting blown up in Ukraine. They're like, why aren't we seeing it anywhere? Within, I wonder. Within like three days of our show, they were all over the news where the, the mushroom clouds from the ammo dumps <laughs> that were getting blown up were could be seen from space. And uh, Did you follow up on those? I, a couple of them. Um, but, but, you know... Regarding here, we're going to hear 14th Amendment. We're going to hear Trillion Dollar Coin. Uh, there's actually a really good article on the nothing burger that is the 14th Amendment. It's currently at thenationalpulse.com. Go check it out. It's written by a staff writer. I saw it this morning. How big is this coin going to be? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, because, like, I lose coins pretty easily. That's when I don't laugh. Like, I had a challenge <laughs> coin in my pocket, right? and that shit's gone. Really? Yeah, I, I can't I can't carry those fucking things around. Hmm. Well, I mean. <laughs> bigger are the challenged coins. When you talk about the challenge coins that are given and traded between uh, certified forklift drivers, oh yeah, those things are worth it. <laughs> they could probably uh, fill in for the trillion dollar coin we might have to use to, uh, you know, put a band aid on the debt ceiling. But we'll see where it goes from here. Not always the most sexiest topic to talk about, but we are going to try and do the best we can. And as we're running up against the deadline, I'll tease it for next week. Uh, not only are we going to have uh, the top guy at the Heritage Foundation who does everything regarding the economy, come in on this next Tuesday, just a day and a half before uh, we reach the debt ceiling. We're going to have Dr. Ron Paul in as well. Nice. One of the most well-respected economists ever uh, to come in and kind of give us a little bit more of an explanation on this. 
So as we're getting ready to jump in with, with Garrett O'Boyle and wrap up talking about the debt ceiling for now, let's hear from one of our partners. You know how you've gotten that chewy, hard, disappointing jerky from the gas station? Oh. you got to try some of this jerky we just got from Farmer Bill's. It's soft and tender because it's cured and air-dried instead of dehydrated, like that other junk. Ingredient conscious, there's no sugar, no soy, or other additives, just beef, salt, and spices. Working on those gains, it's protein on the go with a very respectable 32 grams of protein per two ounces. That's twice the amount of that other jerky. So if you like to support small business and you like your food source in the USA, order some Farmer Bills with the code STEAK for an extra 5 bucks off. Buy a 12-pack, you can get free shipping. The only thing better than this tender jerky is supporting an American-made company that shares your values. Get yourself some Farmer Bills traditionally air-dried beef jerky today. All right, joining us next on the show today, and this is following up on something that we covered extensively last week. He's currently a suspended FBI agent. Uh, we heard portions of his testimony. We're actually going to be talking to him now and letting our listenership get to know. Garrett O'Boyle, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate being here. Well, it's our pleasure after uh, going through the emotional portions of your guys' testimony and the back and forth between some of the absolutely disgraceful uh, Democrat House congresspeople last week when you guys were in the weaponization committee hearing. Uh, we just wanted to allow you to come on and uh, kind of follow up with our listenership on just a, I guess, first-person perspective on on just how uh, you know we got to this point. So we introduce you as suspended uh, FBI agent. Do you want to let our listenership know just basically what the latest is on, on you and your situation regarding, uh, employment. Sure. So, uh, I, I was suspended on September 26th of 2022 and I essentially did not hear anything from the FBI until, um, let's see, it was the Wednesday before, uh, the hearing or the week before the hearing. And I got an email from them and, uh, they, um, invited me to come and participate in an interview and they led the interview off with as you know your security clearance is still being in your or your you know ability to maintain a security clearance is still under investigation and quite frankly i wasn't aware of that because i hadn't heard anything from them since the day they walked me out of an fbi building so uh i i found it um you know in law enforcement there's once you do it for a little while, you realize very, very infrequently that there's coincidence. I think I'm at a point in my life where I, I simply just don't even believe in coincidence. Part of that has to do with my faith. But um, I was like, this is no coincidence. It kind of threw me off as I was preparing to uh, head into the hearing the following week. And I got in touch with my lawyers and told them that uh, the FBI finally requested that I come for an interview. And um, we responded back and and said, no, we can't do Friday because they, they wanted me to do it the Friday after the hearing. And we're like, no, that seems like they're probably trying to jam me up, um, you know, knowing that I will be emotionally spent and uh, tired after the hearing and, you know, probably trying to, um, you know, get me to who knows what, you know, some type of uh, trick tactic that they like to do. You know, General Flynn comes to mind sure. uh, when we think about those things. And so we, we said, no, uh, how about on Monday? Uh, and they didn't get back to me until Friday afternoon and uh, essentially didn't uh, respond to that portion of the email. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of just in limbo still. Uh, we're going to have to figure that out. But I didn't find it coincidental that uh, they were trying to get me to come in the day after the hearing. And so, yeah, I just have been basically, um, you know, sent out to pasture since September 26th and heard very little until right before that hearing. And, uh, yeah, so I technically I'm just, I'm still 
an FBI employee, just not getting paid, uh, no duty, uh, you know, you know, none, none of the things that a typical employee of any organization or business, uh, you know, would be, would be expected to receive. Now this has come with an absolute horrible toll on you and your family. Um, I mean, anybody would be able to comprehend that, but do you just want to let our listenership know a little bit about what it's been like since you were basically cut off from your livelihood and, 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 you know, stripped of your security clearance and kind of put in limbo as you just described? Yeah. So it, it has been, you know, I, I, so you guys watched the hearing and discussed it on your last show, you know, in my opening statement, I talked about how I was, uh, serving in the military for six years. I deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan. I was an infantryman. I, I faced combat on behalf of this nation. And I thought that that was going to be the hardest thing I'd ever done. Uh, when I got back from Afghanistan, I knew that I wasn't going to be re-enlisting again. And I, I, I seriously thought that that was it. The hardest thing I would ever do was done. Uh, but fast forward about 12 years now, and I was sorely mistaken. Now, yeah, sure, I'm not in war anymore. I'm not getting shot at, but... Um, this has been the hardest thing I've, I've ever had to, to go through. And I think a lot of that has to do with, because I do have a family now, you know, and we had, um, you know, just had our, 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 uh, our youngest girl, uh, Lucy was two weeks old the day I got suspended. And, you know, we, she's never lived in her own house, um, you know, ever since she was born and as a man and as a father that, uh, that's really difficult for me. Um, and you know, it's not, it's not lost on me that they, they knew that they had me in a position where they said, we got this guy, we're going to destroy him. We're going to destroy his family. We're going to engage in a smear campaign on him, which is what happened after my deposition in February, which I was led to believe that that was confidential. I was told not to talk about it. I was told don't talk about this with anybody unless it's a privileged party. And so I went there in good faith, just like I accepted my transfer in good faith. And what they have done is, is just beyond the pale. You know, I touched on it a little bit in my testimony. I don't care what, what they do to me. Uh, I, I made that oath and I meant it. And I joining the infantry in a time of war. I knew that I very well could give up my life. I know men who have, and I'm willing to make that sacrifice. But like I said, when I testified that that's, that's my oath and what I'm willing to give up, but I'm not willing to sacrifice those things on behalf of my family, but they, they're trying to take them and make my, my family sacrifice those things anyways. And so that's a large reason as to why uh, I, I testified and why I'm speaking out. No, I mean, it makes, it makes a lot of sense to see when people, watched or or heard on our show portions of the committee that way it went down and and to hear one of the big things i want to know garrett is at this point where we're at all now and and after your interactions with the weaponization committee last week do you still feel that blowing the whistle was the right thing to do and do you encourage more people inside the agency who are seeing some of the historical rot that's going on to come forward and 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 do the right thing I, I would not encourage anybody to come forward. You no, know, uh, like I said, at the end of my, my testimony, I would, I wouldn't encourage anybody to do that. You know, like I said, if, if they had something that they wanted to bring to Congress, then I would do it for them. Uh, but I would recommend they don't do it because of this weaponization. Uh, I hope, I do hope that 
this can be a watershed moment. You know, lots of people in, in the FBI from all over the country, all sorts of different field offices have reached out to me in, in the past handful of days now. And they, they tell me what I already knew that they see the things too. And they're afraid to come forward. They're afraid uh, to blow the whistle. And um, it's, which it's scary because when the employees of the FBI, the most powerful law enforcement agency in the world are afraid to do the right thing. What is left? What is left? We swore an oath to uphold and defend the constitution. It's a sacred oath. It's a sacred responsibility to protect those constitutional rights of our fellow citizens. And now FBI employees are afraid to do the right thing because they see the type of retaliation that happens. So there needs to be, sweeping changes inside the agency and inside the government as a whole uh, to protect whistleblowers. You know, I'm sure you guys are aware of the IRS uh, whistleblower who not just him was re removed from the squad, but the entire squad was removed from that case. And so the government isn't even trying to hide the fact that they're retaliating against whistleblowers. They're just doing it carte blanche all over the place. No, I mean, that's that's like the biggest component there. And I think one of the things uh, that stuck out to me during that committee hearing last week was when uh, the congressman asked you guys about talking to former co-workers and people that were, you know, within your office. And we can only assume that, you know, the managers within the office of where you used to work kind of went around and told people that you guys weren't going to be working there anymore, but, but kind of alluded to, hey, you're going to see these guys on TV. You're going to see these guys up on Capitol Hill testifying and stuff. Look at the future and how bright it doesn't look for you all if you want to follow down the same path, which kind of leads into what you said, unless you really have something that you can go on here. And even though you know the government's going to retaliate in the harshest manner possible, you don't recommend going down the same path that you've taken uh, to get to the point to where you're at right now. Right. That's exactly right. And as part of my testimony on Thursday, I said, and it's been verified by multiple people I used to work with now, that my former supervisor had a meeting a, a few days after I was suspended and straight up told them he's going to be suspended, he's going to be, or he, he is suspended, and now he's going to be fired, charged, and arrested. And if that isn't a very clear indicator of you better not do what he did then i don't know what is it i mean it's completely chilling to the first amendment rights right. of fbi employees when they're when they're being told something like that which if based on fbi policy my former supervisor should have nothing to do with the sham investigation that that they're um implementing against me so why then does he think it's okay to tell all the other employees that I, that I worked with for four years, he's going to be arrested. But he did. He did it anyways. And, you know, for a, for a while, especially in the beginning, nobody was reaching out. Not one person. And then slowly here and there, one or two people might send a text, be like, hey, I'm thinking of you. I really don't want to know anything that's going on. Um, but I just wanted to check in. And it's like, these people are so afraid. They're so afraid because... They, they don't want to give up their livelihood. You know what? I didn't want to either. But like I said, our oath comes first. It must. If we're going to have a properly functioning United States of America, the people who make that oath, you have to put it first. No, you certainly do. I mean, to uh, 
Listen, Garrett, you're preaching to the choir here on this show. We've had so many people who who are in the thread of of what you're going on. We've either reported on it or sat down with them, and, and you know we've built so many cases here just to to hear that our listenership is fully aware of the rot that's going on up on Capitol Hill right now within a lot of our federal agencies and the justice system. And uh, we can only continue to support you and, and, and pray for you guys and your family as you're going through these tragedies, bring you on the show when uh, you have some new information for us and let the American people hear your story, which is the last point that I wanted to allude to real quick. Anyone that wants to do anything that uh, I don't know what you've got going on in regards to uh, social medias or funds, websites or whatever, but where can we, you know, get in contact with you? Where can we support you and your family if, if need be? And uh, if you wanted to lay those out for us right now, we'll live link them in the show description today. Awesome. Thanks for giving me that opportunity. Um, the, the best place right now is give, send, go slash Kyle Serafin, give, send, go slash Kyle Serafin. So he's another whistleblower. He set that give, send, go account up a while back. And he had been one of the very few people. And remember now he was in a similar situation yep. suspended without pay. And he still was, was helping me out from that give, send, go fund. And now he's, he's helping myself and Marcus Allen, who, uh, on Thursday, that was the first time I met Marcus, and uh, he told us that he was about 90 days away from having to sell his home because he's been suspended twice as long as I have been. And uh, But that's the best place to go. Now, your listeners need to be forewarned. There have already been fraudulent um, give, send, go, or, yeah, fraudulent give, send, go accounts and fraudulent GoFundMe accounts that people have set up. Uh, for us that none of us are associated with. I've been like reporting them left and right lately. So we are not on GoFundMe. We're only on Give, Send, Go. And it's Give, Send, Go slash Kyle Serafin is the best. And then I'm on Instagram and Twitter at G-O-B Actual. Um, but I have those accounts restricted right now just based on uh, the advice of my counsel. So, but hopefully someday soon I'll be able to to release uh, the Kraken on those and, um, you know, carry forward in that way. We look forward to it, uh, Garrett. You know, you mentioned Marcus Allen. He was the he was the whistleblower who was best known. We played the clip on our show, the back and forth between him and Congresswoman Linda Sanchez, who's a perfect body double for Ben Franklin with purple hair. Mm. When she asked him <laughs> to provide commentary on, on a Twitter account that wasn't his, so you know that, that that's the preparedness level that the Democrats in Congress had to try and uh, you know circumvent the whistleblowing that you guys did, which is totally legitimate and and so critical for the American people to hear about. We're going to live link those in the show description today, Garrett. This has been great sitting down with you, and we'll look forward to having you back at some point in the near future. Like I said, as soon as anything develops, just reach out to us and we'll schedule in the show. This is former serviceman and suspended FBI agent. He's always in our prayers here on Steak for Breakfast. Garrett Boyle, thanks for joining us today. Thank you guys for having me. And what's going on now is the look at the meeting we had here today, uh, today and yesterday, uh, the Quad. Did, uh, I bet you, I would maybe some of you thought it, but I doubt many, many people in this audience or any other audience would have said that two years after being elected, I'd be able to convince India, Australia, Japan and the United States to form an organization called the Quad to maintain stability in the Indian Ocean and the South China Sea. And there's a lot of other, for example, the idea that we're, uh, in terms of uh, taxes, that they refuse to, for example, we, uh, I was able to balance the budget and pass everything from the, the global warming bill. Anyway, I was able to cut by $1.7 billion in the first two years, the deficit that we uh, were, were accumulating. And uh, because I was able to say to it that 
the 55 corporations in America that made 40, 400 billion dollars, or 40 billion dollars, 400 billion dollars, that uh, they uh, they hit pay zero in tax, zero. What? Yeah. Well, like <laughs> uh, before we get into any of that, it was great sitting down with uh, Garrett O'Boyle for the first time, and and what a what a tough, you know. Tragic, man. What happened to him and his family? I mean, ugh, heartbreaking. Yeah, for everybody listening to the show today, make sure y'all get in there. We're going to live link the Give, Send, Go in the show description. And uh, make sure you go and support him and his family. It's really tough what he's going through. And, uh, you know, can't say enough. And uh, at the end of this segment, we're going to be jumping in with Georgia Congressman Mike Collins. Always a treat to sit down with him, one of our favorites who we've tracked from the beginning of his uh House candidacy up to all the amazing works he's doing up on Capitol Hill right now, uh, especially when it comes to border security and all things related to the budget. But that was Joe Biden. A couple excerpts from the G7 summit. Uh, I have to give credit to our top tier meme makers in America first. Edward Russell, that second clip, it's not edited, but all he had to do was caption it and... (laughs) That says, when you're 14 beers deep and trying to explain high taxes. So... (laughs) And, and, you know, that that's kind of what Joe Biden took a break from negotiating on the debt ceiling for uh, to go over to Japan and, and meet with some of our counterparts. Uh, that, that first clip we played where he talked about the Quad Nations making like a Indo-Pacific defense against Chinese aggression in the Taiwan Strait. I do want to refer our listenership back to, and I hate to kind of dunk on the president of the United States, but Donald Trump already had that established. <laughs> so, yeah, he was able to convince them, I guess, to stay in the partnership, but that was already, uh, you know, well-documented within uh, a part of the Trump doctrine as a pushback on China defensively in the Indo-Pacific. I think one of the biggest highlights, though, low lights, if you're talking about things related to the debt ceiling, the overall budget, wasteful spending, etc. I don't know if you guys had heard, but on Friday... They found uh, some money at the Defense Department. Uh, Jake Sullivan did, apparently. One of the proprietors of Russiagate. Well, it, was, it, it wasn't that much. Only $3 billion, which is one border wall. Uh, wow. it, it ups the ante to over 57 total border walls worth of cash funding aid and military equipment that we sent over to Ukraine since the start of the regional border conflict. Mm. And Jake Tapper was having a hard time, believe it or not. Fake news Jake Tapper on CNN digesting the fact that we now with minimal money in the bank running up against the debt ceiling negotiations all but stalled that we found three billion more dollars to send over to the 51st state (laughs) ukraine (laughs) let's hear their let's hear their back and forth real quick on cnn there's this very bizarre admission from the pentagon this week uh, of an accounting error uh that suggested that the u.s has at least three billion dollars that it didn't know it had that it can use for Ukraine aid. That's a hell of an accounting error. Um, and it provides a lot of fodder to critics of U.S. aid to Ukraine and critics who say there's not enough oversight going on. Um, are you concerned about this accounting error? Of course not. Well, one thing I just want to make clear, that is not money that went out the, dis- the door and disappeared. That is not uh, a waste of that $3 billion. It is simply a tally of how much military equipment we have given them. And the way that the Pentagon was counting it was, what's the replacement cost 
for the equipment we provide rather than just the actual cost of that equipment. Once you make that adjustment, it turns out we have an additional $3 billion that we can spend uh, to provide even more weapons to Ukraine. Spoiler alert. Those I love we- how they say accounting error. <laughs> yeah, those weapons to Ukraine are now going to come in the form of F-16 fighter jets, uh, mm-hmm. something that we've said for a long time on the show that we knew we're going over there, something that uh, Colonel McGregor has alluded to in his multiple appearances on the show. He'll be back next week to, to get our listenership caught up on all the latest that's going on on the ground there in Ukraine. He said that they were already in some of our strategic allies bases and that Ukrainian pilots or potential pilots were being trained in the F-16s now. And they say by who NATO allies, you know, we have, we have bases in Poland and Germany and pretty much, you know, we have landing pads in just about every country over there that's on Russia's yeah. back door. And, and now, now we're being told that these are only for defense purposes and that <laughs> after, after the conflict, they'll be able to keep them still and this is just to uh, repel Russian advancements. We should start looking on eBay in a bit <laughs> and seeing if they're trying to sell any of our stuff. No, I know you You were a huge advocate of F-16s for Ukraine from, oh, yeah, from, from, totally. the, from the beginning, stumping hard <laughs> on the show for Cookie Monster. What do you think uh, for it to finally, now that the cat's out of the bag and that, that you know, they're going to be, the ghost of Kiev could be real and... <laughs> Well, they're they're gonna do something to fuck it up and escalate this thing because it's so it's not supposed to be uh, an offensive weapon. It's only supposed to be defensive, right? I never knew F 16s were deterrents. No, but but that was what the the caveat was that we're giving it to them, right? Correct. So there's gonna be some ass javelin fucking pilot that's gonna go fly over the wrong you know the wrong zone <laughs> and escalate things further, and then it's just gonna be no holds barred. No, oh, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely correct. I, I don't see how we put logistic boundaries on these things once they're in the hands of Ukraine and, and operating from within theater. Um, believe it or not, and I know I teased it in our first news segment, Cookie Monster himself made it out to the G7. Was able, Cookie Monster now. Was able to sneak out of the greatest war zone in the history of war zones, and after meeting with uh, MBS in Saudi Arabia, Jet set it over to Japan where he uh, still wasn't wearing a suit. Definitely had on the, um, the cargo pants and the sweatshirts. I didn't know you call him Cookie Monster now. <laughs> well, Noah does a pretty good Zelensky, but actually, before Noah does it, I promise the planes will not be <laughs> flown anywhere they're not supposed to. <laughs> Which is pretty funny, because they're going to touch on that a little bit as they talk about the developing story that happened over the weekend where Bakhmut has, has officially fallen. We know a lot of people have said that you know, the Ukrainian army was holding on to it by threads for the last couple months. There was only one supply route in and out of Bakhmut. And now that the Wagner arm of the Russian military had taken celebratory pictures mm. in the town square with their flags and stuff, they are, they are setting up, uh, you know, logistical operations there to be able to turn over Bakhmut to the official Russian military a little bit later over the summer. But let's hear Cookie Monster as he sits down with Biden for a photo op and talks about the uh, fall of Bakhmut. Mr. President, is Bakhmut still in Ukraine's hands? The Russians say they've taken Bakhmut. I think no. (laughs) But you have to, to understand that there is nothing. They destroyed everything. There are no buildings. It's a pity. It's tragedy, but 
for, for today, Bakhmut is only in our hearts. There is nothing in this place. <laughs> he said thoughts and prayers. Just ground and and a lot of dead Russians, but they came to us. So that our defenders in Bakhmut, they they did strong work. They and and of course we appreciate them for for their uh, great job. So they did a great job. Oh, gosh. Thoughts and prayers. Great job. But the fact of the did you hear what he said? He, he kind of let, you know, he got ahead of himself. He said, well, the Russians didn't take Bakhmut because there's no buildings. So where, they're, where they are at now is... Well, Only in to, our memory. It used to be Bakhmut. <laughs> right? Only in like, our hearts. <laughs> this guy's a joke. So so they didn't take Bakhmut because Bakhmut isn't there anymore. So it's a it's a paradox what you're saying and fact yeah. check true i mean we have seen a lot of drone footage from there there's not much left nope. but uh you know well so by that rationale biden didn't tank the economy true story because it's already ruined right you know i also saw you know i talked about it in our first news segment as well colonel mcgregor put out an op-ed today they, they shipped it over to the show and i was just browsing through it real quick before uh you know we went live today and and he said there are up to between forty and 60,000 troops, Ukrainian troops, I don't know, whatever they got left now, training outside of the country for the counteroffensive later this summer. I don't know mm. what that looks like, but I guess they're getting their feet wet in regards to learning on all that new equipment that we've sent over there, the tanks and the armored personnel vehicles, apparently F-16s as well. Um it's going to be interesting to see where this goes because I knew Bakhmut was like a hard line for Russia originally. I'm waiting to see if the coined special operation, as Vladimir Putin puts it, uh, could be coming to a close as they secure that area and we move towards negotiations. But everything that I've heard the real experts allude to, including Colonel McGregor in this you know, op-ed that he wrote, says that this offensive is being prepared for later in the summer and into the fall. That puts us like five, six-ish months more of this conflict going on. I don't see how we can't get to the negotiation table at some point sooner, especially with the fact that this has fallen so far out of the news cycle and with Zelensky and Biden pretty much admitting that Bakhmut has fallen and the Russians continue to advance in their special operation. How could we not want to stop this? Yeah, of course. I just don't understand. But, I mean, why would they want to stop it? I mean, they're they're laundering all this money and taking it from our country, destroying us, blah, blah, blah. You know, like we've said many times, I mean, it's only in their best interest to keep this going. Sure. And I mean, like, you know, for the amount of Ukrainians that have fled and for the small amounts that have gone back, you keep pushing these uh, cities west and, and all it's doing is, is listen, they're, they're saying they're killing hundreds of thousands of, Rus of Russian soldiers. That that's That's to be determined on whether or not. Uh, this thing comes to an end and we can actually get some fact checkers in regard, you know, UN and whoever else NATO allies are going to go through and, and kind of get the official body count. But th like Donald Trump always says, there's tens of thousands of Ukrainians dying every time these massive operations, especially in like concentrated areas like Bakhmut are going on. Well, Ukraine is killing their own people yeah. and it's been proven many, many times now. And so for me, I mean, oh, gosh, 
I hope this ends soon. Hopefully. Yeah. And I mean, even President President Trump has, has sort of alluded to that as well. I mean, there's buildings that are occupied by, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of residents, these large, uh, you know, living halls that are that are there in some of these cities. And if there's a couple of Russian snipers or people that have, you know, moved throughout the city and occupied these buildings, they're just bombing the buildings. And then they're saying, like, again, but President in Russia, I don't think Russia would do something like that. I mean, I'm not listening. No, no, Ukraine is bombing their own buildings to get like the yeah. two or three Russian snipers. And meanwhile, okay. there's there's people inside of these buildings. And that's what Donald Trump's saying. He's like, you can't believe the numbers. They're saying like two or three people got injured and the whole building got leveled. Like hundreds of people have died in that building. Innocent people, civilians. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's I a, mean, major war crimes. You know, this is. Oh, God help those people. Oh, it, I mean, Joe Biden was asked about the the F-16s, and, and as we've already kind of, you know, pitched out there in this segment, said, how can they only be used as a deterrent? How can we know that these things, uh, you know, won't cause any kind of escalation? Let's hear the 46th president. Assurances you have that providing F-16s won't escalate this war. I have a flat assurance from the from Zelensky that they will not, they will not use it to go on and move into Russian geographic territory. But wherever Russian troops are within Ukraine in the area, they would be able to do that. You guys catch that? Mm. (laughs) He promised he wouldn't. Mm. So they could use them as an offensive to provide defense within their own country, but he's been assured by Cookie Monster, that they will not be entering Russian territory to create any kind of uh, counteroffensive in regards to pushing back on on deeper behind Russian lines. Very interesting. Um, again, not surprising. We all knew it was coming. The moment they denied it, they were all but approved. And uh, you really can't take into consideration the fact that we are at a point right now we couldn't be any further from the negotiation table. I mean, you get, you've got this guy still getting FaceTime at places like the G7, um, you know, meeting with the Saudi prince. Hollywood and, award shows. Sure. He's got China, uh, you know, running interference on both sides between them and Russia. You know, China saying they're going to support Russia logistically in this conflict and, and China telling Ukraine they're going to rebuild their country. And now I've seen a, a couple articles come out over the last week or so that, uh, the president of South Africa is getting ready to lead a delegation, and at some point this summer we might actually see a sit-down between Putin and Zelensky. So that's yet to be seen. It's kind of just breaking news, and uh, we all have to assume that that comes at the backing and pressure of the Chinese delegation, who kind of wants to play neutral in all this because they're technically allies with both of them, Russia as a geopolitical counterpart and Ukraine as a per- prospective business partner. Uh, they're right. going to... You know, China already owns a huge portion of, of the entirety of the continent of Africa, so they're going to be pushing some of the presidents there uh, to get them to the negotiation table at some point soon, we hope, and, uh, you know, kind of get this conflict, at least the hot parts of it, to, to an end. Because, again, the limitless killing that's going on there is just ridiculous. And when you talk about the special forces the Wagner group that is at the tip of the spear here for, for the Russians. I really don't see even with some of the mechanized military might that Ukraine's getting from around the world, really being able to defeat one of the largest mercenary groups on the planet. Yeah. I don't see it either. I mean, they, they, they never stood a chance anyway, but I mean, 
Let's see. Let's see what happens. It'd be really interesting to see if uh, Putin and Zelensky actually have a sit down together. Yeah. I, well, nobody over here wants them to sit down. Nope. Well, they only spending they only, money. Yeah, they only want them to sit down when when one country is is the counterpart to Zelensky announcing that they're going to be sending more money and support over to. Oh, perfect. Russia. Yeah, yeah. So those are the only sit downs they ever have. Uh, well, I mean. Joe Biden came back to the States. I don't know if you guys saw it when he got off of Marine One. He was distracted by dogs and, and kind of got off the, the beaten path of that legitimate gate he's got going on when he walks, trying to get back into the White House. He almost fell down the stairs of the G7. Did he? Yeah. I didn't see him. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, if he would have gone, that would have been that would have been a really bad one because... There, it would have been a backwards fall. There yeah. was No, but there was no railings. He nope. would have just... It would have been one of those like uh, running falls you mm-hmm. see like people do, and where you might get winded and stuff, can't breathe. No, but like where he like tries to run out of it, but obviously he doesn't have the fortitude, mental capacity, <laughs> vagina. Well, that too. <laughs> Believe it or not, Joe Biden's stumping around today ahead of the debt ceiling debate, and as we're getting ready to wrap here and jump in with Mike Collins, he's talking about. Listen, we all need heroes. Heroes to step in and get this conflict between Ukraine finished and heroes of other sorts. I'm pretty sure that you guys don't know what I'm talking about, but you're going to be laughing (laughs) once you hear it. Let's check it out. With Nancy leading the way, you never had to worry about whether the bill would pass. She said she had the votes. She had the votes every time. She had the votes so many life-changing pieces of legislation. She'll rescue the economy in the Great Depression. Nancy Pelosi may have been serving in Congress since the Great Depression. (laughs) But listen, I think we all know here in America First, when Nancy Pelosi didn't have the votes, she always went to old reliable, insert SpongeBob meme here, open up the box, government shutdown. So that's, that's kind of, you know, Joe Biden's trip to the G7 and how he got his week kicked off getting his teeth kicked in a little bit more by Kevin McCarthy and then going out and saying Nancy Pelosi is not the hero we deserve, but the hero we need right now. And uh, as we're getting ready to jump in with Congressman Collins, we're going to continue to bring you all things related to the uh, longstanding border dispute now between Russia and Ukraine. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash STAKE for anything sleep-related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash STAKE, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Tuesday edition of Stake for Breakfast. He's the congressman representing Georgia's 10th district, and we're always happy to have Mr. Mike Collins back on the show. Mike, how's it going? Oh man, things are going great. Just just wide open up here in the swamp. I uh I got my chest waders on now. Mm. That bad, huh? Or that good, depending on how you're looking at it. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, it depends on which end you're on there. <laughs> did, did you think you were going to get that deep when you got elected to Congress last year? 
you know what i the most con- the, the the number one phrase that i use throughout the week when we're having hearings is this makes no common sense you'd be amazed at how many times i say that i just cannot believe some of the things that we get into up here when we're when we're looking or talking to these federal agencies and it just it just blows my mind yeah, we've covered a lot of stuff that has to do with that. I think one of the things we're going to jump into first, Mike, we got a bunch of stuff to talk about right now, is uh, this this debt ceiling thing. We're we're hitting uh, the point of no return here. Joe Biden and, and Kevin McCarthy are are you know trying to work out some kind of a deal. It seems like a win win for Republicans. Joe Biden can either you know do the best he can to make a default look good, or uh, bend the knee to the Republicans because you guys passed that bill that a lot of commentators on both sides of the aisle said there was no way you guys were going to pass two weeks ago. So, you know, Joe Biden went to Japan over the weekend and and kind of shut everything down, even though he said he was going to be able to do negotiations on his trip. He actually put a lid on his trip a day short. Uh, and and didn't do any activities with the rest of the G7 gang over there on the last day. As of course, after they heard uh, Zelensky asked for more money for Ukraine. Is that where he almost fell down the stairs? Yeah. Oof, that was rough. I thought he was going to go. But right now, Mike, the pulse up on Capitol Hill. How are House Republicans feeling with, uh, you know, the ball kind of in Joe Biden's court after you guys passed that bill? Being an America First agenda candidate, America First Republican representative, I would have skipped that meeting with the G7. I'm sorry. Sure. But... Things this important, we've been hanging out here over 100 days waiting to talk about this and and to get the president in the room and negotiate with with McCarthy. And he has put us off. And and if you ask me, I think there's some sort of in the back of his head, he thinks he needs to default on this. And and I don't know what that would be, but uh, but not showing up and then taking off and leaving the country. When, when we are down to the wire on this, that's uh, that's not good leadership. It shows you have absolutely no business skills, and it really shows you have no no business running, uh, being the head of this country, being the leader of this country. Yeah, it's uh, going to be interesting to see how the rest of this week plays out as we move closer to the June 1st or 2nd deadline. Janet Yellen keeps, you know, says it's fluid right now, but uh, it was reported last week there's about $7 billion left in the bank. We did find $3 billion more for Ukraine over the weekend, though, so that was kind of interesting. And, and you know, you talk oh, about – go ahead. No, you just, you're just singing my tune. <laughs> um, it, it's time to stop. It, it's time for the for the EU over there to take care of Ukraine. Sure. We, we've done way past what we needed to be doing anyway. Uh, we've got other areas that uh, have a more grave concern than that. Certainly is. It didn't bother Vice President uh, Kamal Harris either. She dined with friends over the course of the weekend while Joe Biden was in Japan, leaving just about no leadership in Washington, D.C. when you talk about some of the cabinet members that uh, are currently in place. Mike, I did see in the House, you know, you're always working to get stuff passed and and your Trank Research app, which is going to be huge in protecting uh, law enforcement, especially like border officials uh, down in the brain of women and women who are securing our border uh, in these times of crisis right now. It, it passed unanimously last week. Do you want to let our listenership go? You you let us hear a little bit about it uh, last time you were on the show, but I think that for the fact that it's you know passed now, we got to kind of take a victory lap on it and, and let you tell everybody exactly what this is for. Well, you know, I appreciate that. It's just some of the things that I think hope that we bring to the table up here, and that is just uh, problem-solving solutions and common sense solutions and i'm pretty sure that when uh when you have a vote that goes uh 425 to zero 
that uh, that that shows that that was just a good, solid, common sense bill. And all we're asking the federal government to, to do is to go out there and advance research, uh, to reach out there and protect those men and women that are out there in law enforcement and our border patrol agents uh, from these crazy things that they, they're putting in and mixing with fentanyl now. You know, we had Nar- Narcan that, that can handle fentanyl by itself to an extent. Uh, but now that they have upped the game and, and mixing things like xylazine, this uh, veterinary tranquilizer, uh, we need to be able to protect those people that are out there trying to get this mess off the street and trying to protect the public. When you see fentanyl being being mixed with everything from, you know, now marijuana to like uh, everything, uh, performance enhancing drugs that have to do with like weightlifting and stuff, there's just no way to be able to kind of protect everybody blanketly. But this, you know, Trank Research Act that you were able to get passed unanimously in the House, as you mentioned, Mike, is something that's definitely going to put up another wall of protection to our brave men and women in law enforcement, and especially those who are working hard down on the southwest border. They come into contact with this stuff almost on a daily basis, if not more. And uh, I do kind of want to stick in that thread. I mean, you talked about failed leadership in Washington, D.C. I think 1A or maybe even 1B to uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris has to be the DHS secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas. Uh, we don't have to lay out for our audience where we're at right now in the U.S. Yeah. border, But Border Patrol apprehensions, even though we're not getting mass rushed with millions of people at the same time, they've streamlined the process right now to where hundreds of thousands of people are still coming in as fast or, or faster than ever before right now. And they're just getting bused to the interior of the country. We have seen there's been a, a couple uh, of child deaths in Border Patrol uh, custody over the course of the last week or so, and that has to do with the mass overcrowding that the Biden administration has caused down there as well. I know House Republicans are looking for a solution to this, as everyone in the Biden administration has now blamed Congress for the problem. They said they can't get operationally secure because of the failed system and Congress's uh, inaction on that. We all know that's not true. You guys passed the Border Security Act of 2023 recently and sent that up the chain. But what are House Republicans looking now to uh, hold Alejandro Mayorkas accountable and get this border situation under control? Well, it's time to impeach him. It's time for him to go. My request is, is, is totally ineffective. The American people see that as well. Um, anybody who, who believes that that border is secure out there, um, he's probably the only one that in, in the country. And, and I don't he doesn't believe it either. Uh, they know that that, that border is wide open and people are pouring across that thing. And, and, you know, I said it the other day to another reporter. They're just coming over in large part, sitting down and then taking checks, yep. get, getting the, the services of, of, of the federal government being bussed or flown wherever across this country and then housed and then fed. And uh, we you, you said it in your monologue there just a few seconds ago. It's the wall. You know, we've been saying it all along, finish the wall. That wall will secure that southern border down there. And these people, you know, over the weekend, I saw where they had put up a temporary fence and it had a gate in it Mm -hmm. to let these folks in. But you put that wall up and that's going to send a sure enough signal that uh, that we've only got one way into this country. And, uh, and and I'm still, I'm for putting a moratorium on all immigration coming across. Yeah, I think that's a good starting point right there, Congressman. And I think if we're ever going to get the uh, Democrats to the negotiation table, that's going to be one of the chips that I think we need to play as well, immigration moratorium. I, I do, too. I think that, uh, as a matter of fact, we've been looking at how we can and put that in there. We need a moratorium on all immigration until the border wall is finished. 
and 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 people oh well that's going to hurt that's it can't hurt any worse than what we're getting right now and uh and you know not just hr2 we have sent uh, 60 bills across to the senate and they haven't taken up a that blame thing over there and uh and we need some help from americans out there uh, you know mo- legislation up here in this town doesn't get passed it, it never passes until the american people get out there and demand it right. especially on big stuff and uh, and we need their help we need you engaged out there because we are sending good bills across that border bill we sent across it it helps give more border patrol gets them the help they need it it's it strengthens these child these kids that are coming across without parents it makes them go back and remain in mexico it finishes that wall that is a solid border bill and and what what just blows my mind we send this stuff over to the senate if they don't like it don't vote for it but by god do something with it they act like that we're we're just non-existent over here and with such a slim majority to get these bills passed it does have to you know lend credit to the to the absolute unification that you guys have had on the Republican side and when you guys can whip some Democrat counterparts. This was the case with your uh, Trank Research Act. You know, the, these bills are as good as we're going to get right now in regards to getting this border down. And like you said, it, it's a very simple equation uh, that gets things under control down there. And then we could start unpeeling the onion and looking at the immigration system and the visas and things like that. But right now, the, the yeah. amount of people that are coming in and, and the toll that it's costing the American people. I mean, we just heard uh, New York Mayor Eric Adams on Friday said they had to appropriate a billion dollars in their budget to house the now over 60,000 migrants that have been bussed up there. And listen, they welcome them as a sanctuary city, but now they're seeing what it's like to live in Laredo or El Paso or Tucson or San Diego now for decades, uh, how it's been down there. And, uh, you know, the ripple effect from this is, is going to be something that history looks back on, I think, with a very negative eye. But it's the people who stood in the way, much like yourself, Congressman, who wants, uh, you know, secure borders and all the other ones who are up there on Capitol Hill in America first. That I think you know, I, I think you're exactly right. And and thank goodness we have got a large enough majority yeah. in the Republican caucus that can do multi things at one time. Now, you know, I don't sit on judiciary and oversight. But we've got some damn good people over there that are that are holding people accountable. And at the same time, the 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 committees that I do sit on, we're over there trying to reform NEPA, the permitting process, getting HR one, getting back to energy independence, and and handling some of the business side of it. It's more or less what I'm, you know, what my background is is for. And uh, so we've got a very good caucus over here, even though we don't have a huge majority but uh but you're right we're sticking together we're pushing good bills across there we're having oversight in every committee we've got and it's time for my or it's time for several of them to go i just had a conversation it hasn't been an hour ago about pete Buttigieg and how the guy is running his social experiment and he is running the department of transportation in the ground with that social experiment and we've got to get hold of these people accountable in, in, in all of these agencies. Uh, if we don't, uh, there's just going to, it's going to be some bad stuff that continues to happen. Yeah. And last thing I want to touch with you on Congressman, I know you said you don't sit on certain committees, but the ones you're working on, obviously you're doing some big work in right now, but one that was, uh, 
we had an eye on last week was the weaponization committee. And you saw the FBI whistleblowers who Democrats tried to delegitimize and uh, kind of just use as pawns in this big game as they blew the whistle on some major concerns that they had within the agency regarding the way they were handled the investigation of January 6th, uh, this, that, and the other thing. So when you see stuff like that going on still to this day after we've had the Twitter files, after we've debunked the Russiagate thing and Crossfire Hurricane and, and you know, seen so many things come to light that the left, the media, and, and everyone else involved has kind of turned into, like, big lies to use against conservatives, Republicans, and America first. When you see these, uh, you know, three brave former FBI agents up there on Capitol Hill getting grilled and, and telling the story of how things still are going on to this day. What, what does it have to say for, uh, you, you talk about reforms in a lot of agencies all the way from DHS to transportation, but with our federal law enforcement and the DOJ as well. Yeah. You know, and, and those are very good examples. And, and, and those, those poor folks, I mean, look at them over a year, couldn't get jobs, um, security clearances revoked. Uh, the way they were treated, pulled off of assignments. You know, it, it. I think it just brings to light, even the way the Democrats treated them in that committee, it just brings to light that the disdain that this administration has for the normal person, the everyday average American out there, that they know better, you don't know anything, and you are going to submit to whatever we want done and how we want this country to look. And uh, people, we got to start standing up. We got to stand up and we got to fight back against this mess. And uh, and that's why I keep hollering and screaming. We need we need every American out there burning up the phones over there on that Senate side. And getting Mitch McConnell to do a little bit of uh, more than he's doing right now, which is not too much of anything. Congressman, this has been no. awesome. Uh, catching up with you today. Our, our listenership always loves it when you come on the show. We've tracked you all the way from you know the start of your candidacy as a House rep. We're looking forward to you obviously running again for re-election in the fall. And uh, we're going to link your congressional website in the show description today. But for everyone that's not following uh, Congressman Mike Collins, where can we find you? You can just look us up at Rep Mike Collins. And uh, you, you can find me all across all the social media platforms that way. And uh, we'd love to have you on there. Love to have your comments. Love to have your suggestions. Follow along with us. Um, you can even look us up at uh, house.gov and, and uh, join our email chains. You know, we put out emails every week on what we're doing, and we'd love to do videos on what's going on up here. Listen, you've got a great team that you're working with up there in Capitol Hill, Congressman. And again, we're looking forward to having you back on the show again. You know, y'all have got a great venue and, and, um, uh, Y'all do a yeoman's job for people out there. Just If we didn't have people like y'all that were helping us to get this message out, I don't think we'd be as far along as we are today. We just got to keep rowing in the same direction and keep plowing. That's it right there. Listen, Congressman, no one's ever questioned your work ethic. We know that you're one hell of a fighter. This is Georgia 10's Mike Collins. Thanks for joining us again on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you. The Republican primary is about to turn into a, a UFC WWE fight. You know, Vince McMahon could produce this between Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis. There's reports last night that maybe Chris Christie is going to get into the race. And, and so, you know, we, we better buckle up uh, and strap in because this is going to be something we've not seen. You know, t you don't get around Donald Trump. You're going to have to go through Donald Trump. And so, you know, in the beginning right now, I think we've seen Ron DeSantis, you know, try to hit him with some kid gloves. But if you're going to if you're going to go take down Donald Trump, you know, you're going to have to you're going to have to play on his level. No lies detected. I mean, even for CNN, that's the Democrat representative from Florida. Uh, Moskowitz talking right there on, on one of their primetime shows last night. 
you know, they're asking about how this GOP race is shaping up in the for the Republican primary and the right to be the nominee in regards to running for president. And even though a lot more contestants, as we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, are, are looking to get in, we've had uh, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott made it official yesterday. He got off to an amazing start, I believe 13 seconds into uh, his speaking event. The microphone's cut out, and uh, he went for about a minute 30 with no audio before he was able to bring it back. And <laughs> That was awkward. Yeah, it certainly was. Um, you know, those are make-or-break moments and uh, kind of hidden from the news cycle because it was, it was pretty embarrassing, but... You know, it's uh, really interesting to see what's going on right now uh, within the Republican field. Again, Ron DeSantis and Chris Christie, Mike Pence as well, are still not officially in the race, even though they've all but declared. I think as we're only in Tuesday here, uh, as we move through the week, we're going to see a couple more. I believe Wednesday, Thursday, or even Friday is is kind of the date that the DeSantis team is looking for. I know a lot of people saw uh, his Twitter account was change yesterday from Ron DeSantis FL to just Ron DeSantis. Hmm. Yeah. And, and you had all those people out there like, uh, what would you call it? Rotund conservative influencer, Jenna Ellis, who hosted the Florida governor on her show yesterday, suggest that maybe he's getting ready to run for something bigger. She would know. It's the same way that Casey DeSantis, his wife changed her Twitter account in the same fashion just about a year ago, dropped the FL from her handle. That kind of went under the radar, but also happened as well. Tim Scott jumped on with Harris Faulkner today following his candidacy announcement yesterday, and she had some, I would say, (laughs) (laughs) loving words for the South Carolina senator. Let's hear what went down this morning. Have to go back to the former president because his lead is so mighty. How do you take on someone who literally fights to fight? I mean, I I know you saw 2016, you saw 2020. Donald Trump is a master at it. What's your game plan? My game plan is a simple one. I'm running for president of the United States and I plan to be the nominee. So the good news is for the American people, you will have a stark contrast between me and the rest of the field. I look forward to being the messenger that actually adds to our party without diluting our conservative values. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Good luck, Senator. You know, the thing is, we, we played a clip of, of Tim Scott just last week talking about the end of Title 42 on Fox News. He laid out literally the entire Trump doctrine in regards to border security. He talked everything about remain in Mexico to Title 42 and, and mass deportations and, and, you know, circumventing the process that gets people who are fraudulently claiming asylum, which is the thing now. It's so funny. All these people are pouring across our borders, right? And and you've got all these mayors in these Democrat-ran cities. You've got Bowser. You've got uh, Adams up in New York City, the crazy guy who looks like Beetlejuice who actually mm-hmm. took over for Beetlejuice <laughs> in, in Chicago, all saying, like, these are not asylum seekers. These are economic migrants, and they want everything, and they shouldn't be here. And I'm just like, hmm, where have we heard about that for the last decade? Mm. And, uh, you know, they're all kind of reaping the rewards of their radical, progressive, liberal talking points now. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't feel as though busing migrants to these liberal ran cities is necessarily the solution or even appropriate. But here's the thing. You've got so many of these radical Democrat mayors and even governors in some of the states now, because I know Kathy Hochul has talked on it in uh, New York as well pushing back on the Biden administration. You know, they asked Eric Adams straight up on, on CNN state of the fake union this weekend, where is Joe Biden? And Eric Adams answer was, that's a good point. Mm. So, you know, 
we're kind of rolling along right here. And, uh, you know, I, I mentioned Ron DeSantis. We'll touch on him for a little bit. Now, I, I saw a great article at the nationalpost.com. came out yesterday about uh, Ron DeSantis ditching Florida. <laughs> That's going to be crazy. Like, I wonder if he is actually going to run. Oh, I no. mean, who He's would replace him? He's announcing this week. Oh, who's he going to be replaced with? Oh, you're going to love this one. That's a good point you make, Antoinette. I think I screenshot it yesterday. Yeah, here it is. So Jeanette M. Nunez would be the stand-in governor if Ron DeSantis uh, announces candidacy for running to run for president, okay? And Mm -hmm. I'll introduce our listenership to Jeanette Nunez via tweet. I I think Donald Trump would probably appreciate that. Um, This is back from March of 2016 throngs of the Republican primary and as Donald Trump was starting to pick up steam for the first time. Ready? Ready. This is going to be the governor of Florida when Ron DeSantis steps down to run for president. Wake up, Florida voters. Trump is the biggest con man there is. Hashtag no substance. Hashtag anti-Israel. Hashtag supports KKK. Hashtag never Trump. Vote Marco Rubio. Stop it. Stop it. So she's totally establishment, but I, wow. KKK. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. I can't wait. It's going to be a uh, bastion of freedom down there in Florida. Jesus. Lord have mercy. Florida, step up people. Get her out. (laughs) It is, uh, it's, it's scary and it's, uh, real. So, That that article at the nationalpost.com, it's got a picture of like all the little Twitter birds tweeting and they have MAGA hats on around a, a picture of Ron DeSantis. And it says, it's official, DeSantis ditches Florida. And they're talking about him dropping the capital FL from his Twitter handle yesterday. Um, I saw Pete Hegseth was on this morning. He was on Fox News and he was talking about some of the things that Ron DeSantis is going to be getting hemmed up on. One of them is his lack of geopolitical footprint and some flip-flopping that he's already done. Let's hear it. Part of his rollout that was so poor from DeSantis was being on both sides of the Ukraine issue. Trump's been very clear about it. It didn't happen under my watch and it wouldn't have happened. And I don't want to start foreign wars. DeSantis kind of tiptoed on the establishment route and then went another direction. And people said, we don't know who we've got here. So a lot of people. So I'll go, now go back to cool. Oh, At least he was awake. And, and, and I think the Ukraine issue is going to be, you know, as that becomes a continuously less favorable item on the Republican agenda, you know, being in foreign wars and then blindly funding this absolute debacle they've got going on over there in, in Eastern Europe. They got to, you know, figure out a way. Donald Trump's got a pretty good stance on it right now. He says his track record shows that he's tough on all these guys and that he feels that he could end it in a time period of 24 hours or less. Uh, that's yet to be determined, but that's his stance. He also says that there's no reason for them to be fighting because of uh, a lot of the parameters he laid out over the course of his presidency that kept them from doing such, and he'd re-implement those red lines in Bakhmut and see where it goes from there. But uh, I did see... So one of the things we talk about on the show all the time, and it's really important when you start talking about the real Republican path to the White House, because there's only one, especially in the last couple decades of election cycles the rust belt and the blue wall states some of the swing states are going to come into play they've they've gone in different directions over the court i mean arizona was cherry red 10 years ago florida was purple and you know but if you're really going to secure that nomination 
and you're going to get into the general election cycle and win the presidency in November of next year, you're going to have to be number one as a Republican, the jobs president. You're going to have to convince all those people in the Rust Belt and the Blue Wall states that you are that guy that's going to reopen all these factories and, and, and make America great again in regards to you know manufacturing and, and, and job production in these areas and really bust through the Blue Wall. That's pretty much the only way. You know, Republican states aren't flipping blue. Democrat states aren't flipping red. Arizona, Nevada, Georgia probably come into play. I think Pennsylvania at this point is a lost cause just because of every day I see John Fetterman go up to the podium to talk about things in sweatsuits. I haven't seen him anymore. He's not even in a sweatsuit. Or has he worn a sweatsuit? He's wearing like gym shorts and like Uncle, Uncle Fester running shoes. Yeah, and, and people have, have talked to out about this and and listen his his office has said the fact that he's wearing those clothes in official context up on capitol hill means it's part of his healing process oh my god oh so he identifies as wearing a suit (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh my god such bullshit i know but there was good news I, i did see a piece over the weekend where they were touching on some polls that have recently come out out of the rust belt which is where donald trump needs to win and 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 again this is as he widens his lead in the Republican field for the nomination for president. Head-to-head pollings are more consistently showing him beating Joe Biden by as little as two, but as much as like 7% now. Uh, And it's been like that for a couple weeks due to a lot of, you know, crap things that are going on with the Biden administration. But let's listen to a little bit about how these new polls coming out of the Rust Belt may even give more inclining to the fact that Donald Trump's already got the nomination and is looking good in the general election at this point in the bag. New polls revealing how 2024 is shaping up in the Rust Belt states with former President Trump leading President Biden. Look at that. By seven points in a hypothetical head-to-head matchup. Weird. But if the race was between Biden and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, the results are the other way around, with Oof. Biden topping the Florida governor by almost four points. Hey. All right, let's bring in the voters. Noreen Johnson is from Pennsylvania. Mary Josephine Generoso is from New York. They join me now. Great to have you both here. Noreen, why is Trump crushing everybody in the Rust Belt states. Um, Well, I don't know if you remember when uh, he was in the White House, but let's just say our country was a different place to live. The American dream has been lost by not only sending jobs overseas, but by the inflation numbers and so many other factors that Trump really brought to light and improved uh, to make this country a place that we actually want to be proud of again. And um, there's just so many reasons why I think we're all yearning for better days. And the reality is that when Trump was in uh, charge, better days were here. So it's no surprise to me that um, those poll numbers are what they are. And I expect that regardless of who the Republican candidate ends up being, I do expect that we will see those numbers only uh, go through the roof on the Republican side. Okay, that's interesting. So what do you guys think? Again, something that we've talked about since Donald Trump supposedly lost the White House in 2020, he wasn't able to identify as the jobs candidate because of COVID. The economy was very up and down. Back on the upswing when he left office, I mean, inflation was a little over 1%, and jobs were coming back coming out of the pandemic, which was, we know, in in most contexts and do extremely related to the presidential election, manufactured to hurt him in that. Um, because that's, that's where the DNC knows that Donald Trump really 
got through and uh, was able to defeat Hillary Clinton. It was You didn't have to worry about the swing states as much when you were breaking through the blue wall and winning the Rust Belt, something that a lot of Republican presidents have never been able to do and uh, only can be done when you identify as that jobs, booming economy, everybody's bank accounts full, living great president. What do you guys think? I think that everybody, people on both sides, you know, um, a lot from the other side have come to our side. I mean, are just uniting in general because they see what's going on. And I mean, I agree with everything you said. Yeah, no, I, I, I think so too. I mean, no, I mean, jobs right now, listen, Joe Biden's going to say he added 500,000 million billion jobs to the economy. But I don't think anybody <laughs> believes that. No, they certainly like, don't. Why would you believe that? And, uh, and everybody knows that it's an empty, it's an empty claim because he, yeah, jobs came back. They're going to come back after you. Back un- when you country back. <laughs> yeah, when you when you lift draconian lockdown measures. Exactly. And what do you guys think about uh, you know, being able to run on the economy? He Joe Biden saying it's a big deal that everybody's being able to take home uh, you know, between uh 40 and 100 extra bucks a month to put that directly in their bank account. How how so? People Gee, are, people have two three jobs now just to survive after what they've done. Yeah, you, that's you know where the I mean? 40 bucks came from. Mm. <laughs> exactly. Let me tell you a little story about a man named Taxes. Ooh. You know, people are not working and still. Gas. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Like I see, you know, every store I go to that they're they're hiring, but nobody is applying for jobs because they, a lot of people that were taking, you know, these these uh, these jobs, let's say, you know, at the grocery store and like McDonald's or whatever, uh, I mean, they got paid over COVID and they're now living off government assistance. What's the incentive for them now? That's their after, job now. I, you know, are, so. are, are we counting those as jobs? Are you guys ready for this one? I, I mean, we are talking about the, the GOP race heating up, so I, I got a couple breaking news points. I know you guys saw Eugene Carroll has come out and said that she wants to amend her defamation lawsuit against Donald Trump to include some of the uh, sound bites that were added to our soundboard following the CNN town hall. Stop. Vagina. So that's happening. It's also just breaking news across the wire right here that Donald Trump has been awarded a March 25th, 2024 Stormy Daniels hush money trial date in New York. Wait, so the hits what? are, the, yeah, the hits oh. are going to keep on coming. Uh, remember the indictment is, is what comes pre-trial. So we'll actually start the next conviction and in, in the never ending extortion of Donald Trump and his family. In, in, so mind blowing because She herself even personally said herself that nothing ever happened between them. So it's like, why are, it just goes to show you that they really do not have anything in there trying anything and everything, throwing everything at the wall, see what sticks. It's, I mean. Well, it's like, can, it's like what Raheem said. It's, it's the push message. It's Donald Trump is uh, a rapist. Mm-hmm. That's the push message. <laughs> Even though she said, well, you know, people like to think that rape is a sexual thing. And it's like, yeah, that's. That's that actually what we thought it was. As she's looking Anderson Cooper up and down. That, that's yeah. a good point that you guys made. It was great that you guys mentioned Raheem there because I did want to get in here. Wherever you're listening to the podcast today, Apple, Spotify, iHeart, Google, subscribe to the show. Also on our social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast podcast. And then our new landing page on the nationalpulse.com. That's the nationalpulse.com. We radically independent news. Um, as we're getting ready to break here, I do have a little one more little piece of breaking news. This is kind of a big one. So yesterday, a lot of people uh, gained excitement because Elon Musk shared 
a tweet of the Tim Scott presidential kickoff, whatever it was, Mike not working. Uh, but it's just being announced today that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis will announce his official bid to become the Republican nominee tomorrow with Elon Musk. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting. Right? So, yeah, it, it says the event's going to be held tomorrow, and it's going to be with Elon Musk. And it, it's pretty weird because in, in an interview Elon Musk did just a week ago on Twitter, he, he said, you know, when they asked him about the potential of a Joe Biden-Donald Trump matchup, Elon Musk admittedly has said he voted for Joe Biden after telling people during the election year that he voted for Donald Trump. Um, so that he mm-hmm. just wished that he could get a normal candidate. So apparently the boot wearing, Ozempic injecting, weird <laughs> laughing, and, and now I'm I'm citing from members of the Republican House while he was a House member, asshole is what Elon Musk considers normal. Asshole. Yeah, I guess we're just gonna have to play it by ear. Obviously, we'll be covering the high and low lights of it. And the awkwardness probably that we'll see on our Friday edition of the show. But in our last audio clip of the day, I did say our uh, most looming House representative, 6'2", mm. 275, African-American. Ain't scared of shit. Byron Donalds was talking about geopolitics and uh, why Donald Trump is the man and the only man that can do it. Let's hear him. To me, it's not really about Donald Trump versus Ron DeSantis. It's about what America needs. And that's where I've been really since day one. We, I talked a little bit about foreign policy in the last block. Mm-hmm. We have a situation right now where Russia is on the move and China is on the move. We need somebody who can step in day one, look at Vladimir Putin, look at Xi Jinping and say, okay, enough. I'm back. We're going to get everything in order the way it just has that ability. I think it's going to take him time. I think there's only one person who has that ability right now, and it's Donald Trump. And for all the naysayers who would say, oh, he's unpredictable, oh, we don't know what he's going to do, let's be very clear. When he was president of the United States, the world was in a much safer place. Nobody can say that the world is safer now than when it was when he was president. Fact check true. Mm. I also saw yesterday, you know, just the last little tidbit that I want to give our listenership today. We did talk about Donald Trump's eventual lawfare that he's going to throw back on the establishment, especially in the media, I can only imagine how many of the hundreds of billions of dollars he's going to sue CNN for. But the first one was made official yesterday. Donald Trump announced that he is suing uh, Jeff Bezos and the Washington Post for $3.8 billion Nice in regards to defamation stemming from all things Russiagate related. And <laughs> any Pulitzer Prizes that journalists there, we know a couple of the New York Times won them uh, in regards to their... Stunning and brave reporting on Russiagate. I wonder if he'll just settle. That's not much money for Bezos. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. But if he if he just if he settled, then it makes him look bad, you know. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like he won't be able to settle because then it's basically an admission of guilt. Yeah, exactly. So we'll we'll see where that goes, and and obviously we're gonna track all the developing news we uh, touched on today. I definitely think that uh, you know the Republican GOP field is gonna get a little bit more robust by our Friday edition of the show. We do know that uh, people like Mike Pence and Chris Christie are looking to get in probably this week as well. We don't know if they're going to make announcements to try and take the wind out of the sails of Ron DeSantis. As a lot of people have been hitting him on lately, you know, just when you talk about the economy alone and his, 
you know, long-standing feud with Disney, that's going to be a little bit something more pinpoint that they're going to be hitting him on moving forward to try and delegitimize the resume that he's going to be presenting to the American people. So as we continue to track all those stories and more and, and, and bring you all the news and get you up to date, we'll just uh, keep on rolling with it. Busy start to the news week, but I think we had everyone covered. Noah, what do you think? Outstanding. I liked it. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear the now over 240 other editions of the show, make sure you're subscribed across every downloadable podcasting platform. You also want to check out our new landing page on the nationalpulse.com and sign up for the National Pulse Plus. We're going to have members-only content coming as early as this week, an exclusive episode of the podcast with none other than the editor-in-chief of the National Pulse, Mr. Raheem Kassam. We want to thank all of our guests for coming down today, Congressman Mike Collins, FBI agent Garrett Boyle, and of course, Raheem Kassam, the editor-in-chief of the National Pulse. We'll be back on Friday with episode 242. We've got Troy Nels on a reschedule, Cash Patel on a reschedule, Max Miller coming in hot, and former acting ICE director Tom Holman. On behalf of the whole pod team, I'm Roan. Noah, later. Antoinette. See you guys soon. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week, and take care. I am really pissed off! Adios! (laughs) Me, Johnny! You busted! Oh, 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 oh